Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Speaking of the Boilermakers, now we have Alan Karpik, the president and publisher of GoldenBlack.com. Always nice when he takes some time to chat with us. Alan, thank you again, as always, and kind of jumping right in uh, before we go look at the path for the Boilermakers with the Selection Sunday announcements this past weekend. You obviously took in and were there for all of their path to the Big Ten tournament title. Obviously a brief scare with Rutgers, but then for the most part, able to guide their way and a brief scare as well at the end with Penn State, but guide their way to a Big Ten tournament title. Your overall takeaways from Chicago, the the Big Ten tournament, and what you learned about the Boilermakers capturing the Big Ten title. I think in the last five minutes of the Penn State game, it may scare, may have turned to panic for at least a brief (laughs) time, especially with Brandon Brandon Newman, uh, who's been a great, great player here down the stretch for Purdue. That's the one pass that he'd like to have back on the trying to break the press. But, no, I think the takeaway is that this seems to be a team that's resilient, uh, can win close games. Now, maybe it's because they put themselves in close games from time to time. But Purdue has had a really good, good run of that this year. It's a storyline this year. There's a lot of close games. Yes, they won the Big Ten by three games in the regular season, but that's because they won a lot of close games. Um, and I think that uh, the other thing that you, you see is that Zach Eadie, I think, really took another step. I mean, if the guy really needs to, to kind of re- even though he's still not making shots, it's quite the clip that I think you'd like to see if you're a Purdue fan or a Purdue coach uh, inside. He's, he was pretty darn dominant in that tournament. So it was just good for Purdue. If you're a Purdue or if you're anybody, you always want to win championships. And uh, I think it was a great thing uh, to get the daily double, so to speak, to win the Big Ten regular season and the tournament championship. Talking with Alan Karpik of Golden Black Illustrated here. Alan, to the greater picture, for that accomplishment you just referenced, getting the the double, uh, double championship wins, does that classify as one of the one of the better accomplishments we've seen from Matt Painter's teams here in the last decade? And perhaps maybe that'll change at the end of this season, depending on how far they can go. Yeah, I don't think you can debate that. I mean, in terms of uh, he's never done it before. Purdue's never done it. Uh, Purdue's not had a lot of success. as well-documented the Big Ten tournament, only winning in 2000, what, 2010 or 2009, and then, of course, this past year. But, yeah, I think this year in general uh, has been one of the best accomplishments by Matt Painter as a head basketball coach. I mean, when you think about the Boilermakers not being, being unranked, making the fastest rise, uh, in the history of the of the AP rankings to the, to number one, and uh, being there, you know, it's caused some challenge. I think the last few years, it's probably it, for Purdue fans. It's uh, because Purdue had a meteoric rise of sorts last year, not as big a one, but uh, got to number one back uh, in 2022 as well, 21, 22. Uh, that has been a, a little bit of a challenge. As you get to a high level in November. Uh, there's that perception, oh, you, 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 you peaked too soon. I don't think that's the case. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure it was the case in either situation, last year or this year. They're very different teams. Uh, I just think that, uh, yes, it is one of Purdue's best accomplishments under Matt Painter and certainly one of Purdue's best accomplishments in the history of the program because it hasn't been number one uh, leading up to last year. Now they're the first team in, big, in the Big Ten since IU in 75-76. 
to uh, be back to back number ones. We have to be back to back ranked number ones in consecutive seasons. So that's a that's a great accomplishment for the program, certainly in terms of recognition. Alan, everybody wants to point to after the Rutgers game and after the Penn State game in the Big Ten tournament, the, the reminder of, wow, maybe this team can't handle pressure well. Maybe this team, if you get after them and you're very aggressive and physical with them, particularly the guard play, it, it, it might not necessarily falter, but it'll give you as an opponent avenues to get back into a game or, or to swing momentum. They still won, though. They were able to overcome that and obviously raise the trophy. When you look at Maybe not individually their paths. I know that's hard to simulate, but when you look at where they are heading into March, is that still a concern for you, or is it elevated that they've had yet another jolt to the system, so to speak, of, okay, teams might do this to us, but we got up and lived to tell the tale? Well, and, I, and for fans of our site at goldenblack.com, Brian Newbert wrote a good good piece on uh, the data that does, really does not support Yes, it's frantic in terms of, and yes, Purdue turned the ball over and too many times in the in press situations. But if you look at the entire season, Purdue actually ranks, and they actually have analytics for this, uh, high above average in that. I know that's counterintuitive to a lot of what Purdue fans think. Uh, I, I think it's a good sign that they've that they've been able to um, been able to weather the storm. Yes, you just don't want to turn over have the, the abundance of turnovers that have happened. But when you look at presses late in games, and a lot of times that's the case, nobody looks great in right. that situation <laughs> because the other team is desperate, trying to make something happen. And uh, if Rutgers is very good at making Purdue look frantic, Penn State, Purdue had a couple unforced errors, to say the least. But the big story, really, in all honesty, was Ethan Morton misses two free throws, and and Fletcher Lawyer, one of the best free throw shooters and freshman free throw shooters in the country, misses two free throws. You hit those free throws, and you're not worried about what happened in the press situation as much. So I'm not passing it off as something that Matt Painter, Matt Painter's made comments. They work on it every day in practice. They need to make sure that they can handle pressure. But I don't think it's as big a deal as most people, uh, and certainly some people in the Purdue fan base are lamenting at this point. Talking with Purdue, talking about Purdue with Alan Karpik of Golden Black Illustrated. Alan, is it as simple as this team will go as far as Zach Eady will take them this postseason and, and avoiding foul trouble and avoiding maybe a, a or trying to get past maybe a matchup that doesn't favor them as well? I think it'll go as simply as how much do other teams have to play Zach Eady as opposed to Purdue having to adjust to what the other teams are doing. Uh, I, I think a lot of it comes down to, and this is starting with every team in the tournament, but when you have a seven foot four guy that's the best player in the country, uh, it, 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 if they change to double him, can Purdue make shots? And that is still going to be a key factor as well. Hanging on to the basketball, getting as many possessions as you can, getting as many. You know, Purdue's offensive rebounding percentage is one of the best in the country. They need to dominate that statistic. And when they're missing three, they need to make sure that uh, Caleb first, Matt Mason, Gillis, Zach Eady are cleaning things up inside. If that happens, I like Purdue's chances. You know, it's, it's, none of it's going to be a walk in the park. Look at the way this season has gone. You guys have talked about this all year long. Yeah. This, is a, this is a year where it's very, very hard to predict what's going to happen. And that's just making this very interesting. But I think Purdue's got as good a chance as anybody. Uh, they obviously are the number one seed. I'm talking about making it to the Final Four. Uh, but it, it, none of it's going to be a walk in the park, as we know. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Sticking with Zach Eady for a second, Alan, I've seen... Purdue fans with screenshots. I've seen the videos. All fan bases get frustrated with officials, and I get it. But in this instance, I do tend to agree at times that, yeah, the officials, at least in the way the Big Ten was allowed to play, they let teams get away with a little bit more when trying to defend the big fella or grab a rebound from him or battle in the free throw lane. When you look at the tournament, I know we don't have the assignments down for who's going to be officiating what, but when you look at the broader scale of the way the NCAA tournament is officiated and the way that the game is played today when you get into March Madness. Is it a pro? Is it a con? Or is it indifferent on Zach Eady heading into March Madness with the way he will be generating foul calls? Well, the pretty faithful have to hope it's a pro. <laughs> I think it can be uh, because you, you know, you're going to have uh, you're not going to have officials from the Big Ten. You know, familiarity breeds contempt, and I think that's part of the problem. You expect uh, teams have chosen to defend him very physically. Certain teams have. Not everybody has. And I think that's been a factor. But I also think that, uh, again, uh, you know, look at what St. Peter's. And, again, I know we're talking about two different teams in state. But last year, St. Peter's against Zach Eady and Travion Williams was able to physical and push him around. Zach Eady had one of his worst games. Now, he's a different player a year later, without question. But my point is, Purdue's got to adjust to the game. I think that the teams, stating the obvious here, the teams that do well in the tournament figure out a way to adjust to what's going on and make it happen. Uh, there are many teams in the country uh, that can stop Zach Eady inside. Purdue is very good, has been for most of the season, at getting the ball inside and doing it. But you can't have a day where – uh, Braden Smith, and, and yet they did and won a game, but Braden Smith and, and Fletcher Lawyer go one for 16 between the two of them or whatever they did in the Big Ten tournament. We have to make enough shots to keep things honest. Uh, and yet uh, I, I like Purdue because of all the tough games they've been through. And I think uh, some of the mental makeup of this team, even though they've got two freshmen in the backcourt, uh, I think David Jenkins Jr. is another wild card. He's a, he's a, what, a well-traveled, four-school type guy that has been a terrific player in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, if he can make some shots and also provide a little bit of that stability that you need when things can go, go, go south, and they will in the, big, in the NCAA tournament for at least a period of time, I, I think that gives Purdue a, a good chance to continue to advance. Alan, you referenced it, so I'll go back to it. How, if at all, does that St. Peter's loss, does it linger at all? Is it something they bring up? Or if they completely dismiss that and are on and to this new chapter with a, a new collection of players for this postseason? Well, I think you have, you know, you obviously have so many guys. You talk about Lawyer and Smith and, and David Jenkins Jr. Uh, and others that, are, that, are, that really didn't play a huge part of that game. Uh, you know, that's a great question because I, I'm a big believer that the, that the NCAA tournament is a bit of a randomized, uh, it's like a roll of the dice. And, and I, obviously, if you've, got to, if you've got a better basketball team, it gives you a better chance. But it's a random event. And St. Peter's, you know, asked Kentucky and certainly asked Purdue. Uh, they played harder. They played better. Uh, in those games, but I think that's a, that's a little bit. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I don't think that Purdue Purdue's basketball team is tuned into what 
a lot of the fan base in this 43-year-old drought that I'm old enough to remember <laughs> both Final Fours, but I certainly was old enough to remember the one in 1980. I was in college at the time. And my point is, I think that stuff bothers the fan base more than it bothers the team. Uh, and, I, and I think, yes, you, you want to make sure that you – I don't think Purdue overlooked St. Peter's last year. Uh, I just think St. Peter's played better, and, and Purdue's star player, Jaden Ivey, had one of his worst games, definitely had his worst game of last year. You can't have that happen in the NCAA tournament. That's the lesson there. Zach Eady can't go into the NCAA tournament and have a 3 for 19 game. I don't think he's going to, but uh, he can't have his worst game of the year against a good basketball team or a hot basketball team and expect to win. That's the definition of the NCAA tournament. They always talk about the game, all, all teams that have won it all, they always have one game where they have to overcome poor play to win. Purdue's done that at times this year. I think that bodes well. But, uh, again, your, your big boys have got to play well at the right time, and Purdue's got to make enough shots and get enough shots to the rim. In other words, don't turn the ball over. All those things, I think, are a formula for Purdue's success and and its opportunity to get to Houston. Alan Karpik, president and publisher of GoldenBlack.com, taking some time with us in the DriveHuber.com studios on the Fan Midday Show. Alan, there's been times throughout the year where the likes of Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith it looked like world beaters to start the year and then, you know, progressed a little bit, had some struggles and have, you know, leveled out, it would appear, at least to their play in the Big Ten tournament. But that's a criticism, whether it's legitimate or not, is my thought on your takeaway from it of can the freshman guards carry the day? Can they step up? Right. It, can the team as a whole, not just the freshman guards, but as a whole, hit open looks from three? I know those are all real concerns, but focusing on the freshmen. Is there any worry there, or have you seen enough through the Big Ten tournament that, okay, sure, it's a you're allowed to be a human and be an 18-year-old and have ups and downs as a freshman, but have they kind of stabilized in your mind if any hiccups to start or in the middle of the season? Well, I think Fletcher Lawyer is still struggling. I mean, he had the one shot that he made against Penn State, which is a shot clock beater, which is an amazing shot in its own right. Uh, you, you know, you worry a little bit about his He's had a little bit of a calf problem. I think confidence is a big thing, but I also think David Jenkins Jr. has come in and, and maybe calmed the waters there in replacement of lawyer. Smith has really been really good. Now, there have been days, and like anybody else, there are days that he does not shoot it well, or he has a one-for-eight day. But go and look at his numbers, assist to turnover. For the most part, it's been extremely good. They are both freshmen. This is a new experience. Uh, this is a harrowing experience if you let it get to you. But these guys are both extremely confident guys. And I also think Matt Painter will be careful about, you know, if he sees signs that uh, Fletcher Lawyer is not getting the job done, he's going to go to David Jenkins Jr. without question. He's already starting to do that. But I don't anticipate he'll change the starting lineup with, with Lawyer. Lawyer is a moxie-type player, uh, a guy that we'll be talking about three or four years ago as, as being an all-Big Ten-level type player, in my view. Uh, he's just hit he's, – he's struggled shooting the basketball of late for whatever reason, and I think that that, that is a, a part of things. But he does a lot of other things very well. What gets disconcerting is that when he doesn't make free throws at the end of the game, again, a rare occurrence. It happened last game. Uh, you just have to keep his confidence level back. But he is a kid that is a confident kid. So my guess is this could be a new beginning for him. Uh, you know, one thing, uh, one thing common I'll make, and that is that back in 2019, Carson Edwards, 28% shooting from three-pointer 
some three-point lane and Big Ten play. There were fans on our message boards calling for Matt Payne. Matt, what are you doing? How can you keep playing Carson Edwards? Well, you're a ticket to at least see within one bounce in the final four against Virginia was Carson Edwards. I'm not comparing Fletcher Lawyer to Carson Edwards necessarily, <laughs> but I think Matt Payne has learned You've got to show confidence in your guys, and I think that's been the storyline. He's tried to do that as much as possible. It's what your lawyer. What was your takeaway from the draw on Sunday? Um, you know, I, I, I think people, <laughs> when you look at the blue blood factor, Purdue got a challenging uh, when you look at the fact that Kentucky and, of course, Duke are in there. And, uh, but the good thing for Purdue is, no matter what, and I understand you trailed by nine points to Marquette, Purdue did back in November, but came back to win that game. I understand Purdue beat Duke by 20, and Duke is a, is a much better team than it was at that time. But you walk into that game, and you've got to talk about the freshman factor. They know that they can beat, that they've beaten Marquette. They've beaten uh, Duke. If they have to play Michigan State, if Michigan State would happen to up, upset Marquette, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, they beat Tennessee. Uh, you know, they've beaten Tennessee in recent years. Um, I think that's a good thing. It's a tough draw. Everybody has a tough yeah. draw. Kia, you know, the old to talk about Kansas moving out west and and uh, Alabama, though Alabama might uh, have a good-looking draw just because the, the Crimson Tide are playing well right now. But none of it's easy. Uh, Marquette certainly is playing well. They played in Madison Square Garden. But Purdue has to look at it this way, and I'm sure that they do. They're not looking that far ahead. You know, it's a good problem to have if you're Purdue that you've got to play Marquette for the Elite Eight uh, in the Elite Eight. That would be a good problem to have. Then you let you roll the dice and figure out if you can figure it out from there. It'd be a good problem to have to have to play Duke in the in the uh, first the Sweet 16 game because again you would have advanced that far. And uh, you have to take it. You're going to have to beat good teams to win, and that's the storyline. You know, I think Purdue will have its handful, handful on Sunday. I don't expect them to have this handful on Friday night, but on Sunday that will be a, be a tough game, whether it's Memphis or Florida Atlantic. But it's the NCAA tournament, guys, and that's what yeah. the heck is supposed to happen. You're going to have great games uh, from, uh, I think, the round of 32 on throughout the tournament. Last question, Alan. Obviously, Purdue wants to win it all. Matt Painter would like to win it all. I'm sure they'd like to hang a Final Four banner, but you've covered this team as long as anybody, been a fan for as long as anybody, and I know you have a great pulse with the fan base as well. Barring a, a upset in the first round against uh, Texas Southern or, or Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, <laughs> yeah. what would be disappointing in your eyes with how you look back on this season, you'll have the memories of the regular season title and the Big Ten title, but for what this team could do, is it Final Four or bust for you? I don't think so, I, because for, for a couple of reasons. One, you've got everybody coming back. I know, Zachy, that'll be the $64,000 question. Or in IL terms, it might be the $500,000 question, <laughs> uh, whether he'll return. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think I think you want this team to get to the second weekend and let the chips roll. It would be disappointing if you didn't get to the Sweet 16. And, and I know that there's pretty fans listening to you right now say, oh, my gosh, there's anything else in the Final Four. <laughs> I just don't think you can look at the NCAA yeah. tournament I don't, with anybody out there and say, uh, especially this year, and say, is Alabama a disappointment if they get beat in the Elite Eight? Uh, I don't think so. And I, but I know every fan base is, and every fan base mourns uh, when their team uh, gets beat early, early on. I like Purdue's chances to, to as good as much as any Purdue team 
in the last uh, 30 years to get to the Final Four. But it's still going to take the right bounce of the ball, the right thing to happen at the right time for the Boilermakers to get there. So to answer your question, I'd say it would be disappointing if they don't get to the second weekend. That's, that's obvious when you're a number one seed. But Purdue, Purdue, the last time Purdue was a number one seed, it did not get to the second weekend. Tubby Smith and Georgia beat the Boilermakers in Albuquerque and Brad Miller and company. So you have to just take it one weekend, one week, one game, one possession at a time and hope for the best. And I like Purdue's chances to do pretty well. Alan, thank you as always. Always appreciate your work and enjoy the madness, my friend. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. If you're a Purdue fan, Indiana fan, anybody out there, it's just a, it's a great time of the year. You have to find a way to enjoy the ride, not stress over it too much, <laughs> but uh, it, it will be a fun experience, I'm sure. Thanks, Alan. That's Alan Karpik of GoldenBlack.com, president and publisher. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 201 in Central Indiana. Appreciate you joining us here on the Fan Midday Show. Scott Agnes alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Behind the board, making all of this happen for you. Aaron Rodgers spoke to Pat McAfee for, I think, the last hour. Let's bring it back local, though, with the Colts, with Colts beat reporter for The Athletic, one of the greatest magazine feature writers in the country. I don't say that lightly. Zach Kiefer joining us. And, uh, Zach, I guess we'll start with that, though. Uh, We finally got some clarity on Aaron. How uh, do you think this directly impacts the league and maybe free agency? Was this holding anything up by by your account? Yeah, Scott, all I know is I'm glad I don't cover the Packers or the Jets. <laughs> this would be sort of the thing that doesn't let you turn it off for the last couple of weeks, been hanging in the air. I mean, honestly, from a big-picture point of view, it's another elite quarterback heading to the AFC, right? Like, if you look at the quarterbacks in the AFC, it's a gauntlet. From the Colts' perspective, we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Come week one, they're going to have the seventh different quarterback they've had in seven successive years. I mean, Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. I'm probably forgetting a couple, Joe Burrow. So it's absolutely loaded in that conference. And if you flip it to the NFC, you got Jalen Hurts and you got Matthew Stafford coming off an injury, and it's just not the same. So the easier road to the Super Bowl is going to come to the NFC this coming season. But, but this is crazy, and honestly, the NFL never sleeps, and it's never boring. Zach, it's Jimmy I know we don't have the answer yet for who the Colts are going to take at four or what they're going to do in the draft, but is there any indication, at least from where you're tracking things, of if the plan would be, if it's a rookie quarterback, to acquire a veteran? And if so, does that make more pressure or more of an emphasis to get it done during this free agency period, or is there more of a relaxed approach among the front office of trying to figure out that part of the equation? Yeah, so let's go back to last year, right? They, they, they needed a quarterback. They didn't know who it was going to be. They didn't love the market at that moment, and this is before Matt Ryan's side. So they didn't jump. They didn't jump at Mitchell Trubisky. They didn't jump at Jameis Winston. They didn't jump at Marcus Mariota. And they waited, and then something happened with Matt Ryan. We know that didn't work out. He'll be released. They'll save $17 million and still owe him $18 million in dead cap money. But to answer your question about this year, yeah, they need a bridge quarterback because – if they draft a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson, especially the latter, Richardson, I wouldn't expect him to play right away. He's going to need some time to learn the pro game, to 
to sort of grow up on the job. And there's a lot of quarterbacks out there like those two that would probably be better suited to sit for a year. So in that situation, the Colts are comfortable doing that. They're comfortable letting this guy sit um, and and play behind and learn behind a more veteran bridge-type quarterback, the guy that makes a lot of sense that is available on the open market right now, excuse me, is Gardner Minshew, who, as the Colts know, lit them up a couple years ago when he was in Jacksonville. He's been in Philly the last couple years playing with Shane Steichen, so there's a familiarity there. Um, You know, Mason Rudolph might be an option, but the Colts are not going to want to spend a ton of money on that position, although you're going to get what you pay for. And there's a very real chance that that guy, that bridge quarterback, is your week one starter if the rookie's not ready. I think it's way more important to have the rookie sit and be ready when he's actually ready than to rush him in. So if you have to, you know, go four and four or whatever it is, or two and six, whatever it is, with a bridge quarterback in place, that's a very real reality for this team right now because really this draft pick is not about 2023. It's more so about 24 and 25 and 26. This is a long term decision, and you don't want to cut corners just to be better in 2023. I'll tell you what, Zach, Zach Kiefer joining us at The Athletic. Nothing gets me more excited about the Colts season than thinking about Gardner Minshew behind center. Right. <laughs> like, right. like, there needs to be some level of excitement and, I don't know, something to int- intrigue fans about the possibilities of what's next and to see that timeline. So I guess ideally you get the quarterback you want. He's able to start right away. But uh, that's one of those, I think, if you're a Colts fan, you see maybe money not being spent where you necessarily want and you're potentially not seeing your next quarterback start right away. I think that will make some Colts fans a little bit unsettled if that's the true reality. I can tell you where the excitement will be. It'll be on the sideline with the quarterback that's holding the clipboard. <laughs> exactly. And, the starter. And, and the reality is the Colts can't think like that. They can't think about fan excitement and pleasing the fans early in the 2023 season. They've screwed this up. They've convinced themselves they were close. The last couple of years, they signed Phillip Rivers. That worked out, and they thought, we can just keep going the veteran route. And they thought Carson Wentz was going to be here for four or five years. We know how that ended with the discussion the night after Week 17 in Jacksonville when Frank Reich apologized to Jim Irsay and thought and said, I thought I could change him, but I was wrong. And they say, we need to get a new quarterback. And they traded Carson and they went to Matt Ryan because they thought they were close. And they weren't. And everything fell apart this season. So trying to make these short-term plays to think that you're close to winning the division in the next year has really backfired. And they need to go back to square one. And if they're going to build this around a rookie quarterback, which is what they're doing right now with some of these moves in free agency, they need to do it the right way. And that's going to mean there's going to be some growing pains in the next couple of years. Zach Kiefer covers the Colts for The Athletic. Nice enough to take some time with us. With the move that happened on Friday, Zach, with the Panthers trading up to go get the Bears, there's now you know panic among the fan base of, okay, what does that do for us, for our quarterback uh, prospects and hopes? Ballard obviously keeps his card close to the chest like a lot of GMs do, but with where you evaluate these quarterbacks or what you like about the set of four of Young, of Levis, of Stroud, and of Richardson – if let's say Stroud and Young are gone and it's a Levis or Richardson situation at four, is it we have to take one of these guys or would you be surprised if they went best available at this stage? No, you're you're playing with fire though because the city might burn down if sure. they don't pick a yeah, sure. at four. Um, look, I can tell you how the Colts see it. Like they, they didn't they didn't think there was an absolute stud in this class. That's why they didn't trade up. 
Right. And whether you agree or disagree, that's, you know, my job is sort of to relay what the Colts are thinking about this. And if there was a Joe Burrow or a Trevor Lawrence, they would have traded up. And a lot of other teams would have traded up. And the other thing is there's not a chance in the world the Bears would have traded out. They would have stayed there and they would have taken this guy. And they would have figured out what to do with Justin Fields because he remains a question mark. So that's the reality of where they're at at four. They didn't feel like their position changed a whole lot. I'm not sure I agree with that. I feel like their chances of getting the quarterback they really like lessened a little bit with another QB needy team up ahead of them with Carolina at one and with Houston at two. And you know, a lot of people think Houston will take Bryce Young if he's there. We'll see what Carolina does. But when you talk about Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, I watched some of the tape on these guys, and it's, it's really easy to talk yourself into these guys because of the physical traits, right? I mean, they have cannons for an arm, and when Will Levis said that at the combine, he wasn't kidding. I saw it in person at the workout, and then Richardson, literally, this is not hyperbole, this guy might be the most physically gifted quarterback prospect ever, like ever. Like, he's an absolute, absolute physical specimen but he's a better prospect than he is a quarterback and he's high on a lot of throws and he doesn't process well. And he's only started 12 games at Florida. And there was a lot that you wanted to see on the tape that you didn't see. But again, he's so young in his quarterback development. This is where the art of scouting really comes down to it, right? Like where do you see this guy in three years and five years? Can you coach up accuracy? Can you coach up pocket presence? I always go back to something Peyton Manning said years ago, and I know this is not apples to apples, but someone asked him, why do you always know when that blindside rusher is about to hit you? And why do you always throw it just before? How can you even see that guy? And Peyton was like, look, I've just always known. I've just always been able to feel that pressure. Some guys have that and some guys don't. And and one guy that comes to mind is, is Carson Wentz, like huge cannon arm, absolute physical specimen pretty poor pocket presence and pretty bad decision-making. So, you know, I think he's a, he's a good recent example of a guy a team traded up to get at the number two pick in 2016 that showed a lot of physical talent early and had a great season going but hasn't been able to figure it out ever since. And if he plays next year, it'll be four teams in four years. So that's the game you got to play. But the Colts have a very recent example of a quarterback with all the physical attributes who couldn't really play the position as well as they needed to. And, again, you go back to Chris Ballard's comments after that season, after that disappointing end in Jacksonville, we asked him what was wrong with Carson. He just couldn't make the layups. And so if these guys are missing five-yard outs, that's a serious problem. You don't often have these 70-yard highlight throws that you see in the pro days and at the combine. Like, can you hit the short, accurate throws you need to? That's a big part of this as well. And, And Levis and Richardson have struggled at that as well. Yeah, and can you go through your progressions and quickly make those instinctual things, uh, the details? And those are the things I think we saw that were lap, lacking when it came to Carson Wentz. And you mentioned uh, Zach Kiefer joins us here. You mentioned, you know, the little things, the know-how from Peyton back in the day. One of the things I always appreciated was when the refs blew a, a play dead, he immediately, immediately threw it down to the ground. Maybe to not get hit, whatever. I really like that from him, um, for example. To go back to the draft combine, Zach, I'm curious. Knowing that the Colts have to attack this quarterback position, walk us through your combine. How differently, if at all, did you approach this, and how much did you try to take in specifically the quarterbacks knowing what lies ahead? Yeah, this is a totally different combine for me. Eight or nine I've been to in the last couple years. But I've never known they were going to draft a quarterback, and it really feels like that's going to be the outcome come April 27th. And 
you know, this is the highest pick the Colts have had going back to 2012. It's been 11 years since they drafted a quarterback in round one. We all know who they took that year at the top of the draft. That was easy, right? That was pretty easy. The last two times the Colts took a quarterback at the top, it was pretty easy because you had that first pick and you didn't have to really worry about what other teams were going to do. This is completely different. And this is how the other half live, right? This is how the Browns and the, <laughs> and all these other teams have seen it for so many years. And it's why Lawrence and Burrow and those guys are so rare. But what I wanted to do, excuse me, my lunch just won't go down. Um, <laughs> is I really wanted to feel these guys during the interviews because I don't feel like the combine workout really tells us that much. It's not football, right? It's the underwear Olympics. We knew Anthony Richardson was going to star. He did. Levis was good. Stroud was sharp. But these aren't football plays. Nobody's in their face. These guys are wide open. It's a scripted workout. It's not real football. And the better athletes tend to shine in those situations. I mean, a guy a couple years ago that shined in that situation, Zach Wilson, is, is objectively terrible. And I don't know if where he's going to go, but they got a new quarterback in New York and it's Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know what that means for Zach Wilson, but as an example, that's a guy who shined in workouts. What I wanted to feel was these guys during the interviews. And you can learn a lot. I mean, it's 15 minutes. They're getting a barrage of questions from all over the place, from college reporters, from NFL guys. All of them are random questions thrown at them very quickly, and they have to think on their feet. And they're often being asked about their worst moments and their best moments and where they're going to live the next five or six years. So it's a fascinating study into these guys' character. And it's also something Shane Steichen, the Colts' new head coach, brought up a couple of times. He didn't mention necessarily the physical attributes. Everybody knows what you want in a quarterback. You want that 6'4", 6'5", big arm, right? Everybody wants that. But it's the it factor that's really that intangible thing we talk about in football a lot, that you know, Peyton had it, right? Just that obsessive want to to get better. And Steichen mentioned his interview with Justin Herbert a couple of years ago when he was with the Chargers, when Herbert would walk him through every single day during the week when he was at Oregon getting ready for a Saturday game. And that stood out to him. It's like, this guy is going to be ready for the next level when you're preparing Monday through Saturday to get ready for Sunday games. And then he talked about Jalen Hurts, who just had a monster breakout season with the Eagles under Steichen's tutelage. You know, really just being absolutely obsessed. And a lot of guys are going to say that during these interviews, but when you look at them and you hear them and you pay attention, do you really believe them? And and that's really the most interesting thing for me at the Combine. I thought Stroud was really polished. Bryce Young was, was very soft-spoken, and I think, honestly, it might be a little difficult for him to lead an NFL locker room early in his career. It's not just his height, but it's his voice. Um, but again, he, he did it at Alabama, and if you could do it there, you could probably do it in the NFL. So, We'll see, but but Richardson Richardson is a he's a case study because he's got every physical attribute you need, but he's so young in his quarterback development and and coming in in the NFL, the players know like they know if you're just picked because you look great and you can throw it seventy yards, and they also know if you can hit you know a third and eight out route where the ball needs to be exactly where it needs to be. So that's going to be the fun part because there's no easy decision in this draft, and if you watch the tape of all four. You can convince yourself that each one of them is going to be a good NFL quarterback. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic taking some time with us. Zach, I know you've been on this throughout the Colts free agency process, but you mentioned on Twitter they re-sign Ashton Doolin. You estimated their cap space right around $24-25 million. Kind of a two-part question. One, with Matt Ryan likely to come off the books here, they've already made the intentions, at least via reports, that are going to cut him to save money. And then um, with Stephon Gilmore being sent off, again, kind of a cap-saving move there. 
A, are the cap-saving moves done in your mind, or at least the blatant ones that need to be done? And then B, where do you feel they'll attack first with this newfound wealth that they can spend in free agency? If they'll spend. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the second part. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to spend it. I know they have it, and I know they probably will have more. It would not surprise me if center Ryan Kelly is released. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. There are some rumors out there. I think it would save about $8 million. Same goes for Kenny Moore. But again, Kenny Moore didn't have a great season last year. He admitted after the season to me that he didn't click with Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator. Now Gus is back. But again, you don't have anything at corner right now. Yeah. Like, I know Kenny doesn't play on the outside, but you got Isaiah Rogers and then a bunch of question marks. And so I think, you know, you sign a veteran corner, you probably draft one as well, but you need a nickel corner. You need that in this league as much as the offenses are throwing and as much as you're in nickel defense. So those are two guys that I could see, but again, I don't know why they haven't done it yet. Maybe they're working the trade lines as well. Um, what they're going to do with the money, they're, they're going to do – what you mentioned earlier, they're going to probably sign a, a bridge quarterback. Those guys are not cheap. Even though they're not franchise quarterbacks, it's still going to cost you double digits in the millions to sign one of the, those guys. And I still think there's another splash. It, it, it might not be super exciting, but if you watch the Colts last year, it might actually be because I think they should go pay a right guard a lot of money because you're going to be bringing in a rookie quarterback, and the last thing you want to do is have that guy running for his life like Matt Ryan was, like Nick Foles was, and like Sam Ellinger was. I mean, 60 sacks last year. 60 yeah. sacks. And I know you've already dished out a lot of money on that line between Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith, but the reality is you have to do something with that unit. So I think that could be an option. With Doolin coming back, that probably lessens the chance that they pay Paris Campbell. We'll see. You probably have to take a discount. But again, it's not a great receiver market, so Paris has some options, and he's probably – more attractive than he would be in the last couple of years. So we'll see. But um, they, you know, the Colts spending money is always a precarious prediction because they just haven't spent a lot of money the last couple of years. And I'm all for spending it if there's a reason to do so. I hear that a lot with the Pacers is why aren't they spending? Well, right now they're not even a contending team. So it'd be foolish to spend for the sake of spending. So I kind of feel that a little bit for the next year or so with Chris Ballard and the Colts. Zach Kiefer uh, is with us. And Zach, you guys had an opportunity. I thought the timing was interesting in the middle of free agency, but a very good opportunity to meet some of the new faces around the Colts facility and some of the assistant coaches. You wrote about one of them. What did you learn during those press conferences yesterday? Yeah, we had been wanting to talk to Jim Bob Cooter and Brian Mason, the offensive coordinator and new special teams coordinator for a while. So no, no fault of the Colts PR staff to get them to us yesterday, but obviously we were busy because there's free agency news happening as well. Look, Jim Bob Cooter, this was his first job in the NFL, was working as a grunt for the Colts coaching staff under Jim Caldwell. He's worked with a lot of great quarterbacks, Peyton Manning among them. Obviously, that's where he started. Jim Caldwell brought him to Detroit. He worked with Matthew Stafford. And and last year, he was in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. So, obviously, the one thing that jumped out that Jim Bob Cooter said was, everything we do on offense is going to be built around one guy. It's going to be built around the quarterback. And that's just not something we've heard the the last couple of years. They've tried to not win in spite of the quarterback, but they've tried to win in different ways. It's almost like the Colts have been resisting where the NFL is going. And I understand there's a lot of context and nuance that goes into that. It's not like you can design the offense around Matt Ryan's running ability, right? I get that. They they had to live within the prohibit like the, the restrictions of these quarterbacks' talents. 
But everything signals they're going to go get this rookie quarterback, and they're going to build it around him, and that's going to take some time. That's why you got to get the offensive line right. That's why you got to get some help at wide receiver. But having Jonathan Taylor coming back healthy, he's out in Arizona right now training, you know, that certainly helps. Having a guy like that in the backfield certainly makes – the life of a rookie quarterback a little bit easier. So that's the offensive philosophy. That's what Shane Steichen has said, and that's what Jim Bob Cooter said. And then on the other side, it's, it's just really cool. Brian Mason is an Indianapolis guy. He's a Hoosier, graduated from Zionsville, you know, you know went to D3 college, wasn't even thinking he was going to last that long in coaching, really started to love it, and really climbed really fast and became one of the best special teams coaches in all of college football. And then about a month ago, got a call from a coach he'd never met in Shane Steichen, and Shane wanted him to come interview for the Colts. And he was, like, totally stunned. He came and he sat down with Ballard and Steichen and then walked out of the interview thinking it went well, but also thinking there was no way that he he locked up that job. And then about a week or so later, got another call and said he got the job. So a really rapid rise in the coaching ranks. But, I mean, this dude can coach. I mean, Notre Dame. Seven blocked punts last year on a special teams unit. That's a school record for Notre Dame, and that's that's not a small thing for that program with its history. So um, they put a lot of emphasis on special teams in Indy. Bubba Ventrone was really, really good. A lot of players were bummed that he left. But Brian Mason's a young, rising coach, and that's an interesting hire. So it was fun to get to know them a little bit yesterday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Zach, where would you rank it in terms of being a game or a gain or perhaps offsetting? Obviously not a negative, but when you bring in Samson Ebukan from the 49ers yesterday and you reported as well, it likely, at least in your mind, where the numbers are at, rules out Yannick Ngakwe making a return is that offsetting the net positive in your mind uh, for that signing for the Colts yeah it's it's probably not as splashy of a name as a lot of people think but I think it could be a net positive and here's why Ngakwe didn't really play the run he just didn't play the run and 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 there was never a point last season where I said to myself they've got to bring back Ngakwe really good dude enjoyed getting to know him enjoyed writing about him and really was involved in the community, and he had nine and a half sacks, and that's no small feat in this town where they've needed pass rush for a long time, really since Mathis retired. But the reality is a couple of those came late in halves in situations where the team had to throw, and some of them were unblocked. Now, that's not Ngakwe's fault, but every sack is not created equal, and there were so many times late in games when they needed one play defensively or one stop or one hurry or one deflection or one sack, and they couldn't get it. And that's why he was here. That's why he was here, and he didn't deliver that. So I always felt like they were ready to move on from him as opposed to give him you know, the big contract he's been wanting for a couple of years. He's bounced around for a couple of teams. So, you know, with the new guy, he can play the run a little bit better. He's coming off a season where he started opposite maybe the best pass rusher in the league in Nick Bosa in San Francisco. So he was a part of an unbelievable defense in San Francisco um, and this helps because they've got three horses now. They got Dio, they got Quiddy Pay, and they got Samson. And so that's going to help, you know, Chris Ballard. This might be on his gravestone one day. You can never have enough pass rush. The guy loves defensive <laughs> linemen like he loves his own children. So if you're going to make a bet on free agency before it starts every year, bet that the Colts will sign a defensive lineman of some sort. So that was the signing yesterday night. I think it's a net positive. If he can stop the run a little bit better, We'll see, but you know, in the middle are their two best players on defense last year, 
with Shaq Leonard out, that being Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner. So you really like this defensive line if the new guy can live up to the contract. You led me right to my last question. That's about Shaq Leonard. Is he the biggest question mark among the guys currently on the roster that the Colts and everyone tries to get clarity of over the next few months? Yeah, I don't think there's a close second, to be honest. You know, they let they let Bobby Okereke leave in free agency and maybe not the splashiest player, but the, the dude was dependable. Missed one start in four years, ton of tackles, could play multiple positions at the linebacker spot. You know, they let him walk, and, and EJ Speed, who is back, is a little bit more limited in his experience, but he's like, look, we lost a, we lost a, a warrior in, in Bobby Okereke, and they did. Mm-hmm. The, the gamble is, is that 53 will be back, and nobody can really know at this point. I don't think Chris Ballard knows. I don't think Darius Shaq Leonard knows for sure. It's one of those scary nerve and you know injuries that just takes a little bit of time, but they've got good reports the last couple of months. They feel like he's on his way but again this is something that i think a lot of colts fans out there listening are not going to believe until they see him on the field and i think the colts are the same way so um there's no replicating his skill set no one can do what he does zaire franklin had an unbelievable year most franchise most tackles in franchise history but the reality is this team needs to turn the ball over more and there's one guy that can do that more than any other in football really and it's Shaq Leonard, so he needs to be back. And, and if he is, that's what a jump start for the defense. Zach, last question on my end. Uh, anybody ever take a page out of Rodgers' playbook with you and hit you with a lose this number that, that ever happened before <laughs> in, your, in your career? No, I have. I have. I, I'm sure they've thought that. I'm sure they've thought that. <laughs> I have never been told that. To be honest, usually it's just. Uh, it's it's no comment or it's no response. But um, hey, I actually thought it was pretty funny that Schefter put that out there. Because, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you might as well just own it. And there's no shame in him trying to get a hold of the quarterback that oh, everybody yeah. was waiting on. Not at all. That's just doing your job as a yep. journalist. Yep. So, Zach, appreciate the time we went along with you. Great work as always over at the, at the Athletic. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, guys. That's Zach Kiefer of the Athletic joining us here. Colts beat reporter does a great job. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.